God's grace is amazing, and it's amazing for a reason. And the reason that God's grace is amazing is because he's faithful. We can trust that his grace is going to be continuous. His grace is not contingent upon the way he may be feeling that day, like you or I. His grace is not contingent upon your performance, whether you do good or whether you may be stumbling and failing. He's consistently full of grace. He's consistently rich, as Scripture says, in mercy. But the reason that he's rich in mercy isn't just so you and I can go about our lives and do whatever we want because we know God's grace is going to cover it, like it's some sort of credit card that we just keep swiping and know that Daddy God's going to pay the bill and it doesn't matter and there's no consequence to what we do. So let's just go live life how we want and just swipe away and God's got it, you know, no problem. No, that's not the reason of God's faithfulness and his mercy and his grace. That's not why he gives that to us. He gives us this time of him being, as scripture says, slow to anger, slow to anger, not so that we can, you know, see how long it takes him to get angry, but the reason for that slowness to anger is because he wants you and I to grow. But how do we get there and how do we grow in the right things? As we've been going throughout this series, going through the book of James, verse by verse, today we're going to start in chapter four of the book of James. And the title of my message, if you are a note taker, is this, how to be the best at being humble. Some of you are a little late to the party. That's okay. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> James chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1 and read through verse 12, and then we'll circle back and talk about it. Verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people or you unfaithful people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it said, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks evil against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Remember that, that James is writing this in a Jewish writing style called Pearls of Wisdom on a String. 
And so all of these thoughts are connected, just as pearls on a necklace would be connected on the same string. They all are touching each other, and they all are coming back around over and over and over again. There's really no beginning and no end to these thoughts. They're all intertwined and interconnected. It's the same way that the book of Proverbs was written in an axiom-style type of proverbial teaching. And James writes very much in that same style. And as you can see, and through our study that we've been doing over these past few weeks, you're hearing some of the same ideas being reiterated or reformed in different ways or being reintroduced in different ways. And that's a credit to that writing style that's trying to drive the point home, that's trying to present the same idea in a different way to get the people, the intended audience of this letter that he wrote, to understand what really matters most. And so he's saying some of the thing, same things he's already said, like, don't be a double-minded person. Remember, in chapter 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. He's talking about the way that we speak towards our brother. Remember, how can out of the, the, the heart, the mouth speaks, how can the good things come out of a heart and also evil things come out of that same heart? It would be like salt water and fresh water coming out of the same spring. He said this shouldn't be so. And he's trying to identify the root problem so that we can trust in Christ now and for tomorrow and for our eternity. And he's trying to say, listen, you guys think that you've got this figured out, but you keep on fighting with each other. What's causing that? What's causing you guys to just keep on fighting? He said, it's this, the passions that are within you, your sinful wrong desires that are on the inside of you that are causing you to war with each other. He said, you're asking and you're not receiving because you're asking wrongly. You're asking selfishly. You've got an impure motive because God looks past the lip service and he sees the intentions of the heart. Amen? He said, listen, you've been an adulterous people. He said, you've been saying one thing and promising one thing, but you've been breaking your promises and doing other things. And thank God that he is faithful through and through, that he does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's consistent but yet here we are struggling with our unfaithfulness. Here we are struggling with things like friendship with the world that James writes clearly is enmity with God. How can we call ourselves a friend of God and yet also want to be a friend of the world to where we're, we're, we've got our foot in both camps and we want to be Christians over here and follow Jesus and trust in the Lord, but then we kind of want to do our own thing too over here. He said, no, this is double-minded. This is the same thing I've been trying to tell you. It's not going to work out because you're trusting in your way of doing things over trusting in God. And this is so prevalent in our world today. Because people will say things like, well, that may not be true for you, but it's true for me. Or that may be true for you, but it's, you know, certainly I'm not going to live my life that way. So you choose your truth. I'll choose my truth. All roads lead to heaven. We all just sing kumbaya, hold hands, happy, shiny people, all that stuff. And you just be a nice person because at the core, we all believe this idea that we're good. Even people who don't know Jesus believe at the core that they're good. And you hear this often reflected when someone gets challenged by either something that's taught in scripture or maybe they're just being challenged on an idea or a thought in general. And how do people always respond? They always respond the same when they get defensively. It doesn't matter, Christian, non-Christian. Well, I'm a good person. Isn't that what people say? You hear them say that kind of stuff all the time. How do we qualify what is a good person? Because what, what does that mean? Does it mean I'm benevolent? Does it mean that I'm someone who's nice? 
that I, you know, let someone pull out, you know, in front of me and, you know, and at, 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 the, at the traffic light to let them through. And, you know, wh what does that mean? How, how can we determine what it means to be a good person? Because if we believe that we are good, then we're saying we don't need God. We're saying we've got this, we're good, and we're defining and determining on our own what good is. And we base that definition of us being good on what we have done and what we haven't done. Because we'll say things like, well, at least I haven't killed anybody. So does that make one a good person? Does, does you know, well, I haven't ever robbed a bank. Okay, well, that's fair. Does that make you good? Or someone who robbed a bank, are they all of a sudden now in this category of being a bad person and you remain somehow unscathed as a good person? Because sin has not escaped any of us. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what scripture says. Every one of us, you, me, the nicest person you know, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We haven't attained to the perfection of God's standard that is the, his law. We can't hold it up. We can't try to make ourselves righteous by having uh, held up the law and, and lived the law because scripture says that to break one part of the law is to break the whole thing. And I don't know about you, but I've broken laws. I've broken God's laws. And so what does that make me? Can I still, with that criteria, say with confidence I'm a good person? And that's James's argument, as that he's trying to help us see that the reason that we're having trouble, the reason that we're struggling, is because often we're doing the same thing humanity has been doing since creation. We're trusting in ourselves instead of trusting in God. And we're saying, God, we know better than you. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. They were presented with this idea of freedom, but freedom within this idea of trusting in what God has already deemed as good. God called everything that he created good. And then all of a sudden he said, there's this one thing I don't want you to do, and that's the only thing I don't want you to do. Stay away from that because that is not good. And so instead of trusting that that was truly the truth, they instead decided to make truth for themselves and say, no, we want to decide what's right and wrong. So we're going to violate, knowingly transgress and violate what God has told us to stay away from. And we do the same thing all the time. We elevate our ideologies. We elevate uh, our, our thinking and what is culturally acceptable because we want to be on the inside and we want to rationalize things in our own mind. And it makes sense to us. Well, wh why should it be this way? And why shouldn't it be that way? And, and so we just give everyone their own permission to make their own paths. There has to be something that we submit to. Otherwise, we're all making up our own truth and it's all based on how we feel at the moment. What does this generation feel is okay? What is the next generation going to feel is okay? Well, if you want to find permission for sin or you want to find permission to be able to do whatever you want to do, bend, twist scripture, make your own, you know, copy and paste scrapbook version of the Bible and just chop it all up and mix it all up together and say, this is why I believe it and this is why it's right. And we can do that stuff all day long. And unfortunately, people do because their emotions are in the driver's seat because they're being led by their feelings because of what they feel is right. And too often we equate our feelings with God and we say, because I feel this, this must be God. Can I tell you that your feelings will deceive you and lie to you? How many of you have ever been, I don't know, deceived by your feelings? Where you, yeah, I, I think so. Me, both hands, both feet, right? I think that we've all been deceived by our feelings. Where my feelings were telling me one thing, but it was not true at all. That's what James is trying to say. He's saying you're following these passions on the inside of you. 
You're following these emotions and you're trusting in these emotions instead of submitting those emotions to the truth. You see, following passion can be deceptive because our feelings are deceptive. But feelings are good. They're a gift from God, right? Mr. Rogers, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Your feelings are good, right? Your feelings are good. There's nothing wrong with your feelings because God created them. So let's not just be robots, okay? Feelings are good, but here's how feelings work. They are a reaction to things that are happening or things that you want to happen. So they are very much a passive thing that happens after a circumstance has arisen or after a thought has, has risen up in your mind or in your heart. And then you feel. You see, God, he works the opposite way. So many of us are led by our feelings and we equate our feelings to God and we think that God is, is, is just simply leading us because it feels good or it feels right. Can I tell you that God first and foremost is going to lead us by his spirit and his word and then the feelings follow that. The feelings shouldn't lead us, the feelings follow what God has already said. And sometimes that's hard because I don't feel very good about certain scriptures. I don't like some of them. <laughs> if I would have written the Bible, I would have written some things very differently because some of this stuff is hard, right? But that's why God didn't offer for me as a selfish person to pen scripture. No, instead he, by his spirit, wrote this word. It's very God-breathed, the very word of God. And as we trust that the Holy Scripture is indeed the word of God, then he's not going to operate outside of his word. So that means if I see something about God's character and God's nature in his word and I feel differently about it, God doesn't care about how I feel about it. That means I need to side with God because he's not consulting me on how I feel about what he said. If he said it, then he said it. That should be the end of it. What's my job at that point? It's to respond. How should I, as a follower of Jesus, respond? in humility by saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. Lord, not my thinking, not my desires, not how I wish the world was or how I want the world to be, but God, your will, your way above mine. That's hard to do when you're faced with a challenging situation where maybe there's something on the line like a relationship, where there's maybe something on the line like being accepted at work or being accepted with a circle of friends. And you're trying to live biblically. You're trying to live in a way that will honor and glorify God. And you're trying to live in light of eternity. And you're in the middle of the pressures of this world. And the world wants to tell you to go one way. And it seems popular. And it seems right to a man. That's why Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, that way leads to death. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? I love this parable Jesus gives to help us understand this. In Matthew 7, 24 through verse 27, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, and remember James saying, not just be a hearer, but be a doer, but the person that hears and does not do them is going to be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of that house. I remember when my family went on vacation, I was 13, 14 years old, and we stayed in this place in Florida where we had a private beach. And because we had our own private beach, I wanted to make this amazing sand sculpture like I had seen people do on TV, you know, like the really impressive ones. And mine was impressive to me anyways. But I kid you not, I spent hours and hours out there working on that thing, but I didn't understand how the tide works. I went inside and I thought it was going to be out there a little bit later. And when I go back out to look at my amazing sculpture that I had spent all day on, it was completely gone. Where did it go? Who wrecked this thing, right? What happened? It was built on the sand. What's the thing with sand? It's always shifting with the tide. It gets affected by all these other outside circumstances and sources and elements that can affect it and impact it. And if I build my life on my emotions and how I feel about things, I'm building my life on the sand because every time something comes around that I don't like, well, there goes my foundation. Now my, now my house is unstable, my life is unstable because I'm building my life on something that moves. So for my life to be built properly, everything's always got to go my way. And I've got to always feel good about everything. And that's just not reality. My feelings will lie to me. My feelings will deceive me. So there has to be something that transcends my emotions that I trust in, that I follow, that I humble myself under. And this is where James goes on to say that we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of the Lord. And in due season, he will exalt us because God is faithful, not distrusting in how we may feel about something or how circumstances may change because we, we see this in the world all the time where whatever the latest thing that whatever news media or whatever the social media wants to publish and make popular that's what we all care about and then we just stop caring about that thing as much all of a sudden and we start caring about something else. We get yanked over to something else. And then all of a sudden that gets old and it's not, you know, selling as, as making as much money as, as the news of the day was, you know, quite yesterday. So something new has to happen. And now let's all get upset about this. Oh, I can't believe it. And we all just get upset about it. And we're just being yanked around from thing to thing. And we're being yanked around from cause to cause. And, and we're not anchored in anything and we're just allowing ourselves to be led by our emotions as to where Christ wants us to be anchored in him and live that way consistently because he is faithful and here's what our faithful God has called us to. He's called us to faithfulness. He's called us to faithful living. God has called you and I to faithful living. Remember earlier when I said God just didn't give us this sin credit card that we could continue to swipe because he's slow to anger and we just want to abuse that and you know he'll just forgive us and don't worry, he'll pay the bill and we can just live however we want to live. No, that's not why he's slow to anger. That's not why he's rich in mercy. That's not why he has given us this time. He's given us this time because he wants us to grow in faithfulness. He wants us to, to emulate that faithfulness that he has shown to us. He set a pattern of faithfulness because he's called us to holiness. He's called us to Christ-likeness. He's called us to faithfulness, not to somehow, you know, have a little Jesus over here and then do whatever I want over here. No, he's calling us to be faithful, you and I, in every area of our life, not just on Sunday. But for me to be found faithful, that's going to require something of me. 
It's going to require that I submit my way and my thinking and my values and my priorities to him and say, Lord, your will, your way, your priorities, your values now have become mine. And he walks with us through this. And the reason he's slow to anger is because he gives us room to stumble along the journey as we're growing. All of us are growing. I mean, it's this idea of like if you've had children and you understand that when they were starting to scoot around and then they would begin to, you know, crawl a little bit. And then after the crawling, pulling up on furniture and then after the pulling up on furniture, taking those uneasy steps. And as they took those uneasy steps, they would do what? They'd fall down. And what would mom and dad do? You go over there and pick them up. Tell them to try again. You didn't say, well, you didn't get it right. Good luck in life. You're just a failure. Can't even walk, you know, at four months old. I don't even know what we're going to do with you. I thought we had super baby genius over here. Can't even get walking down. I mean, it's just so simple. No, we don't do that. What do we do? We celebrate every growth stage of the journey. When, some, when a baby pulls up, oh, look, my baby pulled up. As if your baby was the only one to have ever pulled up on furniture. No other baby before your baby has pulled up on furniture quite the way your baby did. And you call people, you send pictures, you post, look, my baby pulled themselves up. It's amazing. Maybe you could come over tonight and he could do it for you. We could all watch him together. And people will come over. <laughs> and they'll all film it. As if it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. What's happening in this? Someone who couldn't do something is now able to do it. You love them. You care about them. You're committed to them. They fail many times. It took them a while to get there and figure it out. But they figured it out and you celebrated. You celebrated. You were so excited for them. But you didn't want them to just stay there either, did you? No, you wanted them to do what? Continue to grow. Now they took another step and another step. Oh, they're walking. Then they get stronger. Now they're running. Now they're able to do some things because you've been there this whole time. And God is slow to anger because he's helping us along in the process. So yes, you're not getting it right all the time. Yes, you may stumble, but he doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to grow in faithfulness. Not be a person who calls himself a Christian and you're still in diapers after serving him for 40 years. He wants you to be able to grow. He wants you to be able to make other disciples just as we taught in the Are We There Yet series at the beginning of the year, there's different stages in Christianity that we're called to grow in. There is that infancy. There is that childhood. There is that young adult. And there is that parent. There are those different stages that, that we're called to grow in, and we should all be growing in it. But to grow in it, you got to do more than just say, I'm a Christian, and just continue to come to church and attend classes. No. You've got to do some stuff. You'll stumble along the way. You've got to step out in faith. You've got to intentionally grow, amen? It means I have to apply what I've been learning, not just amass more information. I've got to actually apply what I already know, and that's what James is trying to drive home. But that requires me to trust in something greater than my feelings. 
I want to start something new with us where if you're a social media user, you can use this hashtag if you want to. But every week, I want to kind of have the sermon in a sentence to help this be a little bit more sticky so you can remember it. And I want to call it the BCC Big Idea. And so our BCC Big Idea for the week is this. The pathway to humility is faithfulness to God. You want to know how to grow at being humble? Because that sounds like a weird thing to even say. How can I get better at being humble? Well, here's how you do it. Faithfulness to God. As he is faithful, you be found faithful in every area of your life. I'm going to ask my buddy Bryce to come out here on stage with me. And as Bryce is making his way out here, I want to give you this visual because I want you to remember this. I want this sermon to be something that sticks with you and something that you can remember beyond just our time here together. Because I think that the, too often we just come to church and we leave and we just forget things and we go on about our day. But I want, I want this to stick with us because I think this will help us to grow a lot. So Bryce is going to do something amazing for us by taking this ping pong ball and balancing it on said hair dryer. You can go ahead and do that, Bryce. Watch. Watch. Watch him. Bryce. Give it up for Bryce, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Now, this is great. I'm impressed that you're doing this, Bryce. But there's something about the, oh, not looking? What? That's, you didn't even do that first service. You looked the whole time. Man, he took it to a whole nother level for second service. Yeah. So this ball's unstable, but yet it's kind of, you know, doing its thing. It's staying there. And here we read in James where he talks about this idea of humility. And he talks about how we are to humble ourselves under God's hand. And it doesn't make sense that putting something over us could actually help us to grow. We would think that that would be like an obstacle. We would think that the pathway to growth would be us being able to go on our own and do our own thing and explore our way. But scripture says the exact opposite. The scripture gives us this idea that if something is over us, that being the hand of God, if the hand of God is over us, which what is God's hand anyways? God's hand, that's anthropomorphic language, which is not really an actual God's physical hand. It's talking about God's authority. It's talking about God's power. If I submit to his power, if I submit to his authority, then scripture says in due season, he will exalt us. So as I put something over me, I am able to actually do something I couldn't do before in my own strength and my own power. Much like the paper towel tube 2000 over this ping pong ball, which Bryce has. Amazing, our minds are all blown. Crazy. Thank you, Bryce. I have no use for a hair dryer, so I had to call in the professionals. But I want you to remember this. I want you to remember that it's actually putting something over me. It's actually submitting to God's hand and saying, God, your way, not my way. You see, there's a way that seems right to me, but I can only get so far. And I could try and try and try. And I could try to grow in my own strength. And I could try to make up the rules for myself. And I can just keep trying and trying. But when I submit and I let go and I say, God, your will, not my will, then all of a sudden God does something I couldn't do by myself. I can do this by myself. I need the help of another to actually be over me, and I need to submit my will, my way, my 
feelings. I need to submit my emotions. I need to submit my values. I need to submit everything at the feet of Jesus. Because as we submit to God first, this is how we humble ourselves. In Matthew 6 and 33, the famous scripture where Jesus said to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. That's what Jesus is trying to say here is that if we will be faithful to God first, then all of the sudden we can begin to actually grow in humility. We can grow in our impact on eternity. We can grow in living our life for the glory of God. But it takes us humbling ourselves and submitting to God first. Let's read the rest of James 4. Let's pick it back up in verse 13 where we left off. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you will boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here, James is saying this idea. He's not telling you not to like put things on the calendar and plan things. Like, don't get weird with this scripture, okay? Where you look at it and you go, oh, well, I'm not supposed to make plans for tomorrow because that's what James says. That's not what he's saying. Stop being strange. What he's saying, some can do that a little easier than others, but <laughs> he's, saying, <laughs> he's saying here that you're living your life in such a way where, where you're making plans and you're making those plans arrogantly because you're not even considering that every day is a gift. You're not considering the, the, how fragile life is. You're not considering how even the very breath in your lungs is a gift from God. You're just going on and planning and making plans, and you're not even taking time to consider what is the will of the Lord and what does he want me to do. And if he gives me another day, awesome. I want to use it for the glory of God, and I want to be submitting to him and be found faithful more that day than I was the day before. And so he's not saying don't fill up the calendar. He's just saying when you start putting things in the calendar, are you taking into consideration first, I want to be found faithful with what I want to do. And I want to make sure it's what God wants me to do. And I'm saying, Lord, I want to submit to you first, to seek you first in every area. That's how I'm humbling myself. But often what we do is we give God the leftovers. It's like when we make all of our plans and then we go, well, where does God fit in? Instead of us prioritizing the things of God and being found faithful in those things first. And then everything else, as uh, Matthew 6.33 says, will be added unto you. Everything else will begin to work and lock into place because you've done the thing you needed to do, which was submit and trust. The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. He will direct your path. Romans 10 and 17, it says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I want to be someone who is full of faith, who is pleasing unto God, because Hebrews 11 and 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want to make sure that I'm full of faith, that I'm hearing the word, and that I'm living it out and doing it. Amen? That I'm not just giving him lip service. That I'm actually doing what he 
wants me to do in every area of my life. So what what does this mean? It means that faithfulness to God should be the priority of every Christ follower. Every one of us. The priority of our life should be faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to God should be the center of our lives in everything that we do. Everything we do should be affected by that priority. Not just Sunday, not just the big decisions in life that are tough and where we go, God, I need you. Every day in every situation, here's how we do this, church. I prioritize faithfulness to God in my time by asking God how I can use my time to give him glory first. First, when I sit down with the calendar, I prioritize faithfulness to God concerning my finances. First, not left over. First, God, I'm trusting in you first with those resources. I prioritize faithfulness to God in my affections and in the things that he's gifted me to do in my, in my talents and abilities and my interests. God, even in those things, I want to prioritize faithfulness to you first, not with what's left over. And, and we think so much that God doesn't care about those things in our lives, so we don't think to include God in those things in our lives never even thinking or giving thought to prioritize him him first but can i tell you that when we live our life faithful with putting priority on bringing honor and glory to god in every area of our life first can i tell you that will radically change your life it will radically change your life when i begin to think about that job that i go to monday to friday and i work the same shift with the same people and the same factory or in the same office or in the same uh, convenience store or whatever, whatever you may be doing out, out by myself on the farm, wherever you may be working. I go through these same routines in the, in the same factory. And I do these things. And, and, and man, have you ever pumped the brakes a little bit and thought, how could I prioritize doing what I'm doing to God? Maybe God has put me here for a reason and it's more than for me to just produce for this company or for me to earn an income for my family because there's people involved, there's relationships involved, there's opportunities around you. There may be time where you're driving a truck and you're by yourself and God is wanting to just download some awesome things to you and help you to grow, whatever the case may be. Think about everything you're doing and say, God, I want to submit this to you first, not last not if i have some left over not if i'm having a good day no when i feel like it and when i don't because my feelings aren't dictating my faithfulness to god i want to be faithful to god in every area when i when i get uh, my income coming in god what do you want me to do with this because i want to honor you first with this how can we steward our income in a way that will honor you first not with what's left over. God, how can I steward my time this week as I'm making plans and preparations, Lord? How how can I steward my time in a way that's going to honor you and put you first? Think about that first in all of your comings and goings and all of the things you're doing. God, at work this week. God, when I hang out with friends. God, when I go and and do some of the, the, the leisure activities and recreational activities that I enjoy doing. How can I do those in a way that will honor and put you first? And can I tell you this, that the answer that question the answer to that question is going to be the pathway to humility the answer to that question is your pathway that God has put you on to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God it's by saying Lord I submit my will my way 
I wanted to get this out of this deal, but Lord, you know what? I want, I, I want to change my heart in this. I want to change the priority here. I want to change the focus of my marriage or of my family or of my business or of my coworkers and the work environment I'm in or my, or my circles of friends that I'm with. I want to change that priority. So Lord, help me to put you first and to seek you first in everything that we do. Not just with what's left over. And oh yeah, we have to have our God time now. Yeah, I have to start thinking about God now in this area because oh boy, it's getting, it's getting pretty dicey. No, 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 first, 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 first. Seek first. This is how to be the best at being humble, by realizing, God, I need you. God, I need you. And so I want us to do that together as we remember the pathway to humility is faithfulness to God. And the greatest act that he ever did was by being that faithful God who fulfilled on his promise to redeem man back into himself, to make a way where there was no way. And that way that was made was Jesus Christ. Jesus who came and died on the cross for you and for me. Jesus who came and was faithful till the end, who did not waver, who said that this is the way, this is the will, this is the plan, and submitted and gave up his life for you and for me. And so as Jesus did that for you and for me, let's honor that act of dying on the cross in our place that Jesus did by remembering this through receiving communion together. So if you have your communion elements, I want us to take a moment and do what 1 Corinthians 11 instructs us to do as the Apostle Paul wrote to the church there in Corinth to examine yourself. So as you examine yourself, may we examine ourselves to be found faithful. Lord, help us with this as we take this time here together. bread and we thank you for what it represents precious body of our Lord and Savior that was beaten instead of us because of sin he who knew no sin became sin that we might know righteousness and we thank you for making us right in the eyes of God and we trust in your sacrifice and we thank you for what you did and we remember that this day as we humble ourselves before you and we trust in you in Jesus name amen would you receive the bread together Lord, we thank you for this cup that represents the precious blood of Jesus, the blood that washes us white as snow, the blood that still is faithfully speaking, as scripture says, better things than that of Abel, whose blood cries out for vengeance, as the blood of Jesus faithfully cries out for mercy. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. For without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. And we thank you that your blood has paid the price for our redemption that you have bought us with the precious blood of Jesus. And we thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you receive the cup? We sing this together. Turn your 